Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue our study in the book of Sirach, the Old Testament book of Sirach, also called Ecclesiasticus, which is translated the church book. And today we are going to be looking at the central message for the entire book of Sirach. It's the central concept, you might say, the summary statement for this book. But before we do that, I'd like to ask you to think carefully for a moment. The early church did a reasonably good job, some might even say an excellent job, of raising up faithful disciples in the midst of a pagan culture. It was an extremely difficult cultural situation. It was impossible. They didn't have Catholic radio stations. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have Christian publishing houses and everything else, but they did a reasonably good job in raising up faithful disciples. Now, the question I like to ask you is, are today's Catholic educational processes as successful as they were in the early church? I think if you answered this, and this is where we need to think a bit, because the temptation will be, oh, Steve had a nice inspirational uh, lesson from Sirach today, and then just go about it as if nothing changes. If you're a parent, particularly, listen careful. I talked to a family life director or a man who was looking for a family life director in one of the most conservative dioceses in the United States, and they're losing children left and right, and they're very concerned about it. Polls show that 82% of Catholic millennials believe that morals are relative. That, that means that there's no definite right or wrong. This is perhaps one of the most toxic beliefs that a person can take within themselves. And when 82% of Catholic millennials don't believe there's an absolute right or wrong for everybody in all circumstances, yet only 64%, well, actually, that's not only, but 64% of the general population of American millennials are in that point. So, in other words, Catholic millennials are considerably worse off. The Pew Research Organization found that 85% of 18 to 29-year-old Catholics accept same-sex marriage, and only 30% of those raised Catholic are still faithfully practicing their faith, and that includes going to Mass on a weekly basis. And Catholics today are losing more members than any other Christian group. So let's go back to that original statement. The early church did a reasonably good job of making faithful disciples in the midst of a pagan culture. Are we doing it today? I'm not exactly sure that we are. But one of the things the early church did was an, had an extensive use of this book of Sirach. In fact, it's the only book in all 73 books of the Bible 
that has the nickname the church book, Ecclesiasticus. So there's something in here that the early church used successfully. And today, in Sirach chapter 24, we are going to find the central concept, the central truth, the summary statement for the entire book of Sirach. So what I'm asking you to do is think carefully, listen carefully, and don't just, if you agree with me at all, don't just go about things as normal. Uh, I'm calling for change. And if we keep doing the same thing and this, and what's going on doesn't seem to be working in a great fashion, there's some glorious exceptions, but things are rough in trying to disciple young people in today's world. So let's turn to the central teaching of Sirach. And I'm going to give you a tip. In the ancient world, there was a technique to find the central message of any book, not just a biblical book, but any book. Uh, today, you can perhaps look in the introduction of a book, and the author will tell you his purpose for writing the book and give you a kind of a, a central statement about the theme of that book, or you can look to the book's uh, flap jacket. You can learn a little bit about the author and the other inside cover. You'll learn about how that title, which is conveying what the book is about, how it's developed. In the ancient world, to find the central concept, you open the book to the middle. The central concept was in the center. In other words, if you had a scroll, you go to the middle of the scroll, and that happens to be in Sirach, chapter 24, and there you have the central concept. It was that simple. Or if you had a book, you opened it to the middle, and that's where you find the central concept. So here we are in Sirach, chapter 24. Yes, there are 51 chapters to Sirach, but, and, and I didn't do this, to be quite honest. I'm relying on biblical scholars because I don't want to add up all the verses in Sirach and then divide them in half because there's different arrangement. But we're in the middle of the book. We're in a new section. And if you just open Sirach to chapter 24, the first whole half of the chapter is a praise of wisdom. Remember, Sirach is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Wisdom is what's needed for a disciple to navigate in a pagan world to stay faithful to God, okay? So we're going to find in chapter 24 the central passage of Sirach, and this is from the United Bible Society's handbook, which I find so helpful in studying Sirach, and they say this, in this section, Ben Sirach, the author, makes the clearest statement of his most basic idea. Wisdom, for all practical purposes, is equivalent to the law of Moses. He believes that there is no higher revelation than the law that God gave to Moses. He believes as well there is no higher calling, no higher discipline than the search for wisdom. And I'm going to give you the center of that central passage in Sirach 24, just a few verses here, starting in verse 23, where it reads, All this, being wisdom, is the book of the covenant of the Most High, the law which Moses commanded us as an inheritance for the congregations of Jacob. It 
fills men with wisdom, like the Pishon and like the Tigris at the time of the first fruits. It makes them full of understanding, like the Euphrates and like the Jordan at harvest time. It makes instruction shine forth like light, like the Gihon at the time of vintage. And so what Sirach is saying here, this is his most basic idea in this book. The only book of the Bible has the nickname the church book, that wisdom for all practical purposes is equivalent to the scriptures. Now, you may not have uh, recognized some of those names when it says it fills men with wisdom. He lists a bunch of rivers, the Pishon, the Tigris, Euphrates, the Gihon. What's all this? Well, if you turn to the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis 2, and we're taken to the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden was a paradise. It says in Genesis 2.10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And the idea, it says, and then it divided became four rivers. And the idea is that the paradise that was in the Garden of Eden was to be extended to all the world. These four rivers going to the four corners of the globe, so to speak, would extend the blessings of Eden. And guess what the names of these rivers in the Garden of Eden were? Pishon, Gihon, Tigris, Euphrates. These are the names of the rivers that in Sirach chapter 24 said these are the blessings that come from a diligent study and meditation and living according to those Old Testament scriptures. Obviously, today that would include the New Testament. So he's not only associating wisdom with the law of God, he's also associating the scriptures with paradise. And if you think about this, to study and meditate, reading deeply the word of God will bring restorative blessings of paradise to the faithful disciple. I hope you heard what I just said, because things that worked for catechesis, things that worked in uh, cultural settings to convey the faith uh, a half a century ago, two-thirds of a century ago, those are long gone, and the props are gone, and we need to find something that will work in the midst of the desert, cultural desert, in which we are living. Now, we know by reading the last chapter of the Bible that there is the rivers of paradise going to be reopened. This is Revelation chapter 22, and the opening of this last chapter of the Bible, St. John says, then he showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city on either side of the river, the tree of life. The tree of life was get what would have given eternal life to Adam and Eve if they weren't banned from the Garden of Eden. And it has its 12 kinds of fruit and the fruit for each month and the leaves of the tree 
were for the healing of the nations. Now, that's what we call eschatology. This awaits us in the future. Uh, This is something coming. That's what Revelation 22 is talking about. Now, Sirach is saying something hyper-revolutionary. He is saying that the heart and mind filled with wisdom from divine revelation is like the overflowing rivers of the Garden of Eden, of paradise. But it's right now. How can this be? How can this be? The reason it can be is that there's a thing theologians call realized eschatology. Eschatology means study of last things, and Revelation 22 is one of these last things. There will be a healing that will take place by access, having access to the tree of life and this river of water of life going right through the city of God. But realize eschatology says that the future has invaded the present. And it's not like you see a physical river and a tree and go out and pluck its fruit, but you can listen to what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. Not at the second coming, it says, when Jesus was glorified. That's something that happened on the day of Pentecost. And this healing from the future, so to speak, is available in the present. And the central message of the book of Sirach, the church book says that adherence to the teaching and reading and heeding of the law of God is like having the fullness of the four rivers from the Garden of Eden invade your life. This is true discipleship for men and women of God. And, and you might say, well, you know, that's, that's beyond me. I have my problems, okay? Listen carefully. What does it say about the living water in the future? It'll be for the healing of the nations, profound healing. The the blessings of paradise, it restores and heals. But that future for those with faith, and according to Sirach, for those having wisdom, uh, the wisdom of the river of life filling your life, it can restore and heal major things. Now, I'm not saying, you know, if you have a good godly Catholic, wise, sane uh, counselor, don't ditch it. Or if you're going through some recovery program, you don't have to ditch it. But listen, do you have an addiction, a deep addiction? Do you have trauma inside? Have you been abused and can't heal? The water of life 
can restore you now. And I'm saying, you know, you open up your Bible and read a few verses or a chapter and all of a sudden, poof, it goes away. But I'm talking about this has become becomes a part of your life. And the central message of this entire book of wisdom says, when you do this, the future has broken into your present. And there's no other book in the whole self-help section of the big box bookstores that's going to provide for you what meditation on scripture can do for you. And just allow it to come into your life, to renew your mind, to heal your heart, to free you from your addictions. And I'm not saying presto, don't do anything else. There's a lot of other good things you can do, but so often this is the prime thing you can do. This is the center of the book of Sirach on wisdom for daily living in the midst of a pagan culture, and this is how you do it. Now, Part of my initial question was, are today's Catholic educational processes successful? Uh, in most places, there are some great exceptions, but in most places, no. And Catholic education tries to balance what is called Jerusalem and Athens. Athens, we're thinking of the Greek philosophy. Okay, Jerusalem, we're thinking of the biblical philosophy coming from the scriptures. According to Sirach, there is nothing that can touch the divine revelation in scripture. And when Sirach says wisdom, writing in the Greek Old Testament, it's Sophia. Philosophy is the love of Sophia. And I'm not saying ditch the Athens part, but I do believe that in many places, in fact, the majority of places that I've witnessed over the past 30 years, Jerusalem has gone into a semi-eclipse while Athens has taken over, and there is no balance. And if we want to give Scripture its proper place of priority in spiritual formation, in catechesis, in confirmation preparation, in youth groups, scouting groups, men's groups, women's groups— Um, schools, colleges, seminaries, I dare say that a threefold boost in scripture study and scripture appropriation would bring us in a balance according to the church book. Now you'd say, ah, we'll, we'll just do fine. We've always done it this way since the 1950s. And the 1950s strategies may not be working quite as well as they should, I'm saying go back a little further in the 1950s, go back to the church book and go to the very center of the book to find the strategies that we want. Now, why why is this so important? Well, in the very beginning of Sirach 24, remember I said the whole first half of the chapter is just a praise of wisdom, and then he's going to go in verse 23 through 27 and identify wisdom with the law of God. He almost equate, he does equate it, okay? But this is what he says in the beginning of the chapter, 24 and verse 3. It says, I came forth from the mouth of the Most High. You know, we so casually say the Word of God, but think about it. Every other 
book in the world, and I love books of a number of subjects. They're wonderful. But every other book in the world, including religious textbooks, lacks this characteristic in that I came forth from the mouth of God. And this isn't just something in the Old Testament. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's a literal translation, or all scripture is inspired by God. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it's referring to what God did in the Garden of Eden again. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2, it says God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, just kind of picture some movie where somebody's almost drowned and they're semi-conscious, and here's Adam's lying out there. He's, he's not living. And what made him come alive at the core of his being is that God literally breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That is exactly what St. Paul is saying in 2 Timothy 3.16, to be inspired. The Greek word is literally God breathe. God is breathing into us the breath of life. And this isn't like a nice little add-on or one course among 20. No, it should be central because it belongs in the center of our faith, not in some way a secondary one. And so, again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to raise up faithful disciples amidst a pagan culture. Now, if you know what's going on, and I know I sound a little bit like a broken record, but quite honestly, I don't think I'm going to change for the rest of the 21st century, because I see the challenge of this century is that to keep children who have been raised in good homes and good schools and good catechesis and good CCD programs from leaving the faith in their late teen years and young adulthood. That's the key. And if we can't stop that hemorrhage, we're in such huge problems that I don't even want to comprehend. So how do you keep a disciple faithful? Well, it's, it's this. Psalm 1 which is a Torah psalm. Torah is the law of God. It's exactly what Sirach says is the prime source of wisdom. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, doesn't follow the crowd. Doesn't stand in the way of sinners. That means the lifestyle of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Kind of like that tree in the book of Genesis, like that tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, and the tree in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 22, but it can become a part of the present. That's how we get to the tree of life in Revelation 22, because the leaf does not wither. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. This is what is happening. We're seeing faith wither. Parents who have spent tons 
of very hard-earned money on a solid Catholic education and good parishes working hard to faithfully raise up young people to be faithful disciples of Jesus are, are withering in their faith. And I'd say one of the missing ingredients, and this isn't everywhere, but it's a lot of places, a lot of places. This is why I'm asking you to think carefully and perhaps change strategies, whoever you are listening right now, and a threefold increase in the focus, the primacy, and the centrality of Scripture. Just open to the middle of the book and find the main point. I just gave it to you. This is the church book. This is the book that helped change the world. This is the book that helped change the pagan empire to a Christian one. And the opposite cultural situation is going on. The culture is just crushing into the church, and particularly our young people. And that whole system needs to be reversed. This is how they did it. And so the question is, do we want to do that today? Or do we want to keep doing what we're doing and hope something changes? Now, let me give you a word of encouragement, because if you start studying or meditating on Scripture and trying to make it a a regular part of your life, sometimes it's a little slow to get going. In the morning, sometimes coming to work, I have to stop for some really long trains. Sometimes there's two or three engines pulling these really long trains, and I sometimes wonder, how do they get that thing moving? I'm talking about like the first hundred feet. It's so much weight to get moving, and sometimes it's like that. But Sirach says at the end of this chapter, very personal, it says, I went forth like a canal from a river and like a water channel into a garden. In other words, when I started your study, it was like a ditch. It was like a water ditch, irrigation ditch coming into my garden. Not a big thing, okay? But he said, I will water my orchard and drench my garden plot, and lo, my canal became a river, and my river became a sea. There's a kind of a very positive snowball effect. Ezekiel, the end of Ezekiel, also has a prophecy of this river of life, and you start off, it's ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and then it's all-consuming. That's what happens in Scripture study. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 345 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.